Good morning. Is it good to be with you today? Appreciate everyone being out to assemble and to worship God together. It's always a beautiful occasion when God's people can join their voices together and lift up praise to our Creator, to our Redeemer. This morning, we're going to continue with you know that annual theme that we have selected this year as we talk about the idea of. 2020 vision. Prosperity and poverty are simply different degrees of a, per of a person's purchasing power. And so basically they're just on opposite ends of the same equation. That is a power or the lack of it that can harm us or even corrupt us. In this life, there is trouble. And financial troubles are some of the greater stresses that we deal with in this life. Now, our financial troubles are due or may be due to our own choices. Some of us make bad financial decisions, poor choices, unwise decisions, and we have to deal with those consequences. But that's not all the time, is it? You know, everything in this world is not simply under our own control. And so there are other factors that play in when it comes to the idea of financial stress. Because everything's not in our control, and yet we still feel the effects of things that are happening around us. Now, the world connects success and happiness to financial prosperity. That's the world's view. And their view is simply this, that you know, greater purchasing power means greater pleasures. And greater pleasures or more pleasures means greater happiness. Now that's the world's view of things in a, in a nutshell when it comes to financial circumstances. To the outsider, perhaps you and me, the outsider observes this, and they're seeing what's going on. They see what's transpiring on the surface. And we can be easily deceived by the appearances of financial success. King Solomon. King Solomon enjoyed unimaginable wealth. Unimaginable wealth. You know, we're talking about you know, the, the billionaires in, in our modern age. And you can do some research and try to compare, you know, you know, what it was like for Solomon in his time, but it is unimaginable wealth to us. And with that wealth, he was able to engage in a number of different projects. And so there is a sense of esteem and success, the things he can do with his money. But anybody, any good student of God's Word who has read the book of Ecclesiastes knows what he says about it. And what he himself said about all of this was, it's all vain. It's all empty. It, it has no lasting benefit. And so, as we seek in our, you know, our year's theme this year to address different topics about Restoring 2020 spiritual vision. This morning I want us to touch on the idea of seeing money for what it is. 
important. It's important that we see money for what it is because money can deceive us. He can deceive us. Even the best of us. And if we're not careful, money can cost us our soul. And so it's really important that we kind of get a grasp on what does God have to say about this part of life. It's part of living here in this world, but we need to be able to see it for what it is. We need to be able to handle it correctly so it doesn't destroy us spiritually. So we're going to begin this morning by turning our New Testaments, our Bibles, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to look at familiar passages this morning. There's not going to be anything new presented to you. But we're going to go back and just very briefly consider what God says to us on this subject. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to read here in verse 9 and 10 and take note of the fact that the pursuit of prosperity is a dangerous endeavor. It can be a dangerous thing to us because it leads a lot of people to ruin. So listen to what the Holy Spirit says through Paul to Timothy, the preacher. And he says, here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, those who want to get rich, those who want to get rich, fall into temptation and a snare. And many, many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Now, that's not the world's view, is it? That's not the word, what the world says about money. But that's what your God says. Prosperity can be a dangerous path. He goes on to say, and perhaps this verse is more familiar to us. Verse 10, it says, For the law of money, money by itself, is just money. But the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So here we have this desire, the desire for greater purchasing power. Yeah, and so... Why, 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 we, why do we want that? Why do we in general want to have more money? Well, we want to be able to buy more stuff and do more things. And so we want to be more comfortable. We want newer things. Our old things are old and we were tired of them. Or, or we want to be able to do more pleasures and engage in more entertainment. And what God says, all of that is a trap. It's a snare. And it's a snare to both the rich guy and the poor guy. It's a snare to everybody. Because any one of us can get entangled with this encumbrance. And that's what it is. It is an encumbrance. It's a weight. And it's a weight that can lead us down a road of sin and destruction. And so all Christians, all of us, all of us need to take heed, don't we? We need to take heed lest we wander away because of our own money. We don't have to be rich to have a problem with it. We need to be careful. 
Nobody is above this trap. That is, the trap of the, the, the subtle, the very subtle enslavement to what money can supposedly do for you and me. God says, be careful. His love of money is a root of all sorts of bad stuff. Be careful. And we understand the idea that we need purchasing power to take care of ourselves. And so money by itself is not the bad thing. That's not what it's about. He says the love of money and those who want to get rich, they, they fall into this trap. Give you an example. Revelation chapter 3 verse 17 is in the context of that church in Laodicea. The church is called the lukewarm church. And what you have here, you've got Christians in this ancient city in New Testament days that, that had become blind spiritually. They had become blind spiritually because, why? Because their physical circumstances had turned them into lukewarm Christians. That's what happened. And they decided, we don't need anything. And God says, you need everything. Your, your circumstances have blinded you to what your spiritual state is. And it's a, it's a grotesque picture there because basically God, God says, what I feel about you is that when I think about you as a church, it just makes me sick. I want to vomit. That's how bad I think of you. He says, you need to get some things worked out. You need to straighten up your life here. Greed, covetousness are sins that can threaten anybody. You can threaten anybody. Not just the guy out in the world who's already enslaved to it, but it can threaten us as well. People who are trying to see God and put His kingdom first and put His righteousness first. And so we got to be careful. We need to see money for what it is and use it the way God intends us to use it. For example, in Ephesians 5, where he talks about a number of sins that Christians need to stay away from, we find that greed, verse 3, excuse me, Ephesians 5, verse 3, greed is in the list, is not to be named among Christians, among saints, because it's not proper. Greed or covet is not supposed to be found among us. It is sometimes, but, it, but it's not a proper thing. Drop down there, you see, in verse 5 now. He said, okay, it's, it goes back, it's okay. Yeah, for this you know with certainty that no immoral and impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So greed and covenant are sins, and they are sins that can threaten us, and they are sins that can, that can ensnare the unsuspected. We're not being careful. We're not watching out for our soul. We can get caught by that. Very quickly, I want to mention three examples as you see there. The first example is Achan. This is back in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Recall they have marched around the city of Jericho. The walls have fallen down and the Israelites have taken the city with God's power. God gave them victory. And so when they go into the city, I would suggest to you that Achan, Achan probably did not plan to go into the city of Jericho to sin. That was not his intent when he woke up that day. But you go back and you look there in Jeremiah. Just note you know, what it says when Joshua basically confronts the man 
And it tells him in verse 19 of Joshua 7, he says, My son, I implore you, give glory to God. Give praise to Him. Tell me now what you have done. Don't hide it from me. He's okay now. Spit it out. Tell me the truth, Achan. What happened? Listen to what Achan says. He says, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth and inside my tent with the silver underneath it. That simple. He saw, he coveted, he stole. He took what he wasn't supposed to take. Achan didn't wake up planning to do that. But the temptation presented itself. And he did not flee. He did not resist. And he gave in. And it led to dire consequences to himself as well to his family. Another example, Balaam. Another Old Testament example. The prophet Balaam is described as one who had a heart trained in greed. We're not going to read these passages right now. I just want to refer to it. So, here he, so he's described as one whose heart was trained. Isn't that interesting? Trained in greed. It was trained in greed in such a way that he was willing to get paid for counseling others to sin against God. And he is used as an example in the New Testament as a warning to Christians. Don't be like Balaam. Watch out. When he talks about the hire you know, for pay, he was willing to encourage people and, and tell them how to you know, go about sinning against God, and he did it all for money. The last example, very quickly, is the story in the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, well-known to all of you as students of God's Word. Two Christians, a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife, who, when we look at that passage in Acts 5 and read there, for appearance sake, for appearance sake, Ananias and Sapphira lied about a gift of charity. They were giving money to help other people, and they lied about it. Isn't that interesting? Greed, covetousness. And I would suggest to you with them is not only the money they coveted. In this case, the greed and the covetousness not only involved monetary things, but also it involved praise of men. They wanted, it, they wanted it to look one way, and so they lied about it. And so we're warned. We're warned to say, this path of getting rich is a dangerous path. Now there were faithful people of God, Old Testament and New Testament, and they were rich. But they had to work real hard to make sure that money did not become a snare to them. And so Jesus admonishes us. Turn to another familiar passage. Over in Matthew chapter 6. So you turn to the Sermon on the Mount. And so Matthew chapter 6, Jesus warns us that we need to be very wise in the choices we make, particularly when it comes to the subject of what we treasure. And so verse 19, 
You hear Jesus speaking here and saying, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's what Jesus is telling you. Don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's where your treasure needs to be. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. An object itself does not make itself a treasure. An object by itself does not make itself a treasure. It is whatever we consider valuable. That's what makes it a treasure. And if we consider it valuable, and then we start cherishing that. And so the amount of thought, or the amount of energy, the amount of time, I invest into anything in my pursuits, or in my collecting, or in my maintaining of it, an object of interest, but it doesn't have to be an object. Sometimes it can be an activity of interest. We can treasure an activity, not just an object. All of that indicates... What we treasure. If, is this a treasure of mine or is it? Well, how, how much time do I put into it? You know, how much thought do I put into it? How much energy do I put into it? Well, that, that is a measure to help us to reflect, to basically look in the mirror ourselves. And that is why Jesus pointed out here in Matthew chapter 6 that this problem of treasure hunting is a heart issue. It is a heart condition. And that's why so many people in this world need heart surgery. They need heart surgery in order to change their treasures. And I would suggest to you here in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount that the greater warning here that Jesus made, is making about these earthly treasures, the greater warning is not that it's temporal. Now that's part of it. Temporal versus eternal. So it is part of the equation. But that's not the greater warning here. And neither is the fact that the greater warning is, is that it's uncertain. That it's connected to the uncertainties of life. But rather, the greater warning here, if you continue reading down in this same paragraph in Matthew 6, is this. That treasures, earthly treasures, are distractions. They are obstacles to your devotion to God. That's why he goes on to say in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's the greatest warning here when he starts off saying, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven, because the earthly treasures can take you away from God. It can diminish your devotion and my devotion to God. The wealth of King Solomon, did it help him? Or did it hurt him spiritually? What would you say? Well, Solomon did learn. He did learn that there was vanity in what he possessed and there was vanity in what he pursued. And that the final lesson in the end that he, he gained and shares with us is this, that all that matters in the end is that you fear God and keep His commandments. You know what's sad, what's sad about the historical books 
that tell his story, his life story, is that in his latter aging years, he turned away from God. And so Jesus says, be careful. Choose wisely. Be careful. Be careful what you do, what you make a treasure in your life, because it can take you away from God. So what is your treasure? What's my treasure? Or maybe we should say, who is my treasure? Another example is found in Hebrews 11, 26 about Moses. You remember Moses? He raised up you know, by Pharaoh's daughter. Is God's chosen deliverer out of slavery for the nation of Israel. And it's Hebrews 11 that uses the faith of Moses to teach us the importance of making the difficult choices. And there in verse 26 we're told that Moses by faith, by faith, Moses chose, he chose reproaches of Christ above the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to the unseen. He was looking to the eternal reward. He was, he was looking beyond the here and now. And that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of exercise, mental exercise, to look beyond the here and now to what lies ahead. But the fact is this, that our cares, our concerns, our treasures of life can distract us from a, a complete devotion to God. You know, in Luke chapter 18, another example, you know, that rich young ruler, remember him? The rich young ruler that comes to Jesus asking him about what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And he, Jesus first answered, well, you need to keep the commandments of God. And he, remember, he says, well, you know, I've done all that you know, from my youth up. And he says, but Jesus comes back and says, well, you're lacking one more thing. He says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And that account ends by telling us he walked away sad because he was very rich. And we're left not knowing did he ever repent of that. I think the implication is he didn't. So there's a lesson in there. It is, so here we live in 2020. And if we're not careful, are we going to be any better than the rich ruler? Can I be that same guy? Because remember, here's a guy that loved God. Here's a guy that, you know, you know, tried to obey God all his life. But in the end, just could not sell his possessions to follow Jesus. He just could not give that up in the end. So he could have eternal life. Well, I, I don't know about you. How willing are we? Really, think about it. How willing are we to give everything up willingly? It's one thing if it's just suddenly taken from us and we have no control of it. But when it's still totally in my control, how willing am I to sell everything and give it all away? Don't be too critical about that young, rich ruler. He loved God. He lived his life trying to obey God. But he just couldn't let go of the here and now. In Luke 12, Jesus also says, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So yes, Jesus said, be careful. Be careful in what you make a treasure in your life. 
But we need to touch upon very belief this idea that monetary increases are to be gained, though, by a way of honorable wages. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, verse 28, once again, the Spirit speaking through Paul to Christians telling them, He who steals must steal no longer. You've got to stop stealing, guys. You can't keep on stealing if you're a Christian. And so he says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. And so taking what is not rightfully our own is sin all the time. But what we need to suggest to you, from the very beginning, God had expected man to labor. In, in Genesis 2.15, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, He told them, take care of the garden. Tend to it. God, God made us to work, to labor. Now, sin, sin just made things a whole lot harder. That's what happened. But we are made to be productive. Caregivers, caretakers. And so the God-fearing, the God-fearing Christians are to earn wages, but they earn wages through labor by so, you know, so that they can take care of themselves. Very quickly, turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10. Chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, where Paul writes, We urge you, brethren, to excel still more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you, so that you will have so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. And so we're expected to take care of ourselves. You know, God has ordained that you know, personal and family needs you know, are to be met with work, with labor. And so the individual and the family have responsibilities to see to that. And we should not simply expect others that may be prosperous. Well, they need to give me some of that money as if I'm entitled for it. Well, wait a minute. That's not a biblical principle. A biblical principle is I need to labor. I need to take care of myself. Because God expects monetary increase to be gained by honorable work. But at the same time, we realize, if you look over and back in 1 Timothy again, these honest financial gains, though, are not just for our own comfort. We're not working just for ourselves. It's not just for our own pleasures. But rather, our, the blessing of our prosperity is such that we are to use it as a blessing toward others. That is, it allows us to become a blessing to other people. And so in First. Timothy 6, 17, Paul writes, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't make your wealth your treasure, he's saying. But he says, Fix your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. So they may take hold of that which is life indeed. You know, when our hearts are not set on earthly treasures, when that's not where our heart is, then it's, it's easier to give willingly. It's easier to give sacrificially. Because our home and our retirement plan is, is not here. 
This is not my home. This is not my retirement plan. I'm looking forward to something eternal. And so in conclusion, let us end with this thought. And that is in Hebrews chapter 13, where we're told that we are to be content with what we have. I would suggest to you today, monetary contentment is not very American. If you think about it, we live in a culture uh, uh, that it's all about, you know, the American dream meaning financial success. That's a big part of it. And so monetary contentment is, is not something that comes easy for a lot of us Americans. Because that's not what we're really trained to think like. But yet, listen to what the Holy Spirit says. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? One of the things you can read in the book of Ecclesiastes is what Solomon says about the fact that your appetite for more is never quenched. Money does not quench man's appetite. More things doesn't quench our appetite. We just want more. And you think about that idea, more is better. Well, that's not always true. That is not always true. More is better. Now, more faith, more love, more devotion to God, that's true. And that's lasting. And so we do. We need to see money for what it is. And so we're taught here, we need, to, we need to be content. You know, contentment is a defense against greed. That's one, one defense against. That helps us not to be greedy and covetous. But, but I would suggest you, it's more than just that. Contentment is a product of trusting God. When we are genuinely trusting God in everything, in everything, in every way, every day, that's where we begin to learn contentment. In the same passage of 1 Timothy chapter 6, where he says, Godliness, when accompanied by you know, contentment, is great gain. Verse 7, we know this you know, statement, we brought nothing into the world. You know how that finishes. We brought nothing into this world. We cannot take anything out of it either. And then listen to what he says. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. I'm made to stop and think and look in the mirror and say, David, are you content with just food and covering? Not always. I need to see money what it is, what it can do to me, and how it can deceive me. Money brings balance in our life. I want to end with a proverb. And, and, and this is a really good one. A really good proverb. appreciate y'all being so patient and kind and attentive today, listening. You know, 
to this lesson. But in Proverbs chapter 30, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9, it says, Two things I asked of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. That I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. There's wisdom in that, isn't there not? And there's a thought to leave with you today. That when we, we, when we handle money properly, it can be a useful tool. It can, it can help us serve God in amazing ways. In furthering the cause of Jesus Christ, it can be something very useful. But God says, be careful. It can also be a dangerous trap. A trap which can allow Satan in your life to entice you, to, to entangle you, to ensnare you, to even destroy you. So be careful. Do not lay your treasures up here on earth, but lay your treasures up in heaven. And we begin doing that when we, by faith, call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. We're willing to, to die so He can live in us. It is that commitment, it is that allegiance that helps us through the struggles of this life. And to resist all of the stuff that's out here in this world that entices us. Do you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God? If you do, but you've not rendered obedience to His call, to His gospel, we want to urge you to consider today to call upon the name of the Lord in obedience to Him. <laughs> Confess your faith with your mouth before others unashamedly that He is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is God's Son. Repent of your sins and be buried with Him in baptism. And God will raise you up to walk into His light and you'll be cleansed of all your sins. Why is If you are a Christian, but there is sin in your life that you need to repent of, that you need to pray to God about and confess to Him, if we can assist you any way in that, we encourage you to come forward, make your wishes known as we stand and sing the song. Let's listen to that.